You're listening to the Westminster Canterbury Tales podcast, creating community to foster joy and well-being. Thanks for listening. Hello, my name is Amy Shire, and welcome to the Westminster Canterbury Tales podcast. This afternoon, we're privileged to interview David and Lynn Coray as part of our Tell Me a Story series. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So let's start with some of the basics. Tell me when and where you were born. I was born in Louisiana and New Orleans, but she's a foreigner. (laughs) I was born in Portland, Arkansas, where my grandfather was a doctor, and my mother was there making sure that he would deliver me. (laughs) And And he did on Halloween. Oh, my. I'm a Halloween birthday person. And she was born by her grandfather in the same bed that he delivered her mother. Yep. Same bed. Wow. What a a history you have. Now, how old are each of you? I'm 88. And I'm 87. If he's 88, I'm 87. (laughs) 88 and 87 years young. Yeah. Tell me a little bit, each of you, about your childhood. David, why don't you start? Well, I was raised in New Orleans until we moved to a suburb called Metairie. During the war, we moved out to Metairie to be with my aunt, whose husband was an army doctor, and uh, she was alone, so we moved with her. She had no children. We uh, lived with her until the end of the war, then my folks moved to another home about a block away, actually a neighborhood away. That was in Oak Ridge Park. Had a lot of fond memories of playing with my cousin, who I had no siblings, we were only children, playing with my cousin in the, in the lot next to the house playing baseball. It was, we were, I had a lot of fun. That sounds uh, like great fun. And how old were you about that time, playing baseball with your cousins? In 45, I was about 12 or 13. Now, I know that when you were 17, you had mentioned to me that you were in a serious automobile accident. Can you share a little bit about that? That automobile accident made me later realize how much my parents loved me. (laughs) I wrecked their 1941 Chevrolet because I had drunk far too much vodka, was driving home, fell asleep at the wheel, and the Lord decided he wanted to keep me here for some reason because I hit an oak tree, about a 14-inch oak tree, head on. And the six-cylinder Chevrolet engine was next to me in the car when I finished. I don't remember any of it, obviously. But a friend was driving with me, and he went over a railroad track and realized that nobody was behind him, so he came back and found me. Oh, my. And uh, I, I could have died there easily, but the good Lord said, you got a reason for living. And here she is. <laughs> <laughs> And Lynn, tell me a little bit about your childhood. Oh, well, I grew up in New Orleans. My grandfather was a a doctor. He had graduated from Tulane Medical School and went to a very small town in Arkansas, Portland, Arkansas, where he became, he was the doctor there. So every summer, uh, my mother and I would go to Arkansas. My mother would help my grandfather in his office. And I had cousins that were there during the war, because this was during the 
Second World War. And it, it was a wonderful experience because I had no brothers or sisters, and they were like my sister and brother. So being there in a small town and having tons of cousins, because most of us related to one another in one way or another. So um, it was great. It was a great experience. You, you, learned, you learned to drive there, right? Oh, yeah. Very young. <laughs> like 10 years old, my grandfather had me sitting on his lap in his car to drive him to his patients, to see his patients. Oh, so you were like the chauffeur. I was. Well, I mean, he, he was well in control, but that's when I learned to drive. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was great. That's the youngest person I've heard driving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not a lot of traffic. Oh, no, not in this little town, <laughs> believe me. She had to dodge the cows. <laughs> yeah, more like that. Yeah, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And then when you graduated from high school, David, you went into the Naval Academy? No, I spent, no. I spent a year at Tulane. Because when you graduated from the high school where I graduated, which incidentally is the same place that the the Manning brothers graduated. Really? <laughs> and uh, you, you had to, in order to graduate, you had to be accepted at Tulane University. So it was a private school. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so I went a year to Tulane, uh, drank too much beer, studying for chemistry exam, decided I better go somewhere they'll discipline me, and I uh, took an exam and passed and was appointed to the Naval Academy. How did that shape you? Well, obviously it shaped me well because earlier, I, as I say, I have no brothers or sisters, but my uncle, Uncle Thomas Dykes, was a commanding officer of a submarine in World War II, and he was my idol. And so I've known since I was 12 or 13 that I wanted to be a submariner. And so I said, best place to go is the Naval Academy to do that. And then how long did you serve in the Navy after graduating? 23 years. All, all on submarines? Or? Well, no, first, in those days, in order to get to submarine school, you had to qualify as officer of the deck on a, aircraft, on a surface ship. So I went to an aircraft carrier where I not only qualified as officer of the deck, but as engineering officer of the watch, and I was qualified to be officer of the deck during flight quarters. So I was a pretty important ensign on that ship, so important that when I submitted my re request to go to submarine school, mm -hmm. the I still have the letter where the Captain, commanding officer of the carrier, said this, is, this ensign is indispensable on this ship. <laughs> There's no such thing as an indispensable ensign. <laughs> but they, they let you go eventually? Oh, yeah. Six months later. <laughs> Serving on a submarine, was, that, was it a, what you expected? Did you enjoy it? Absolutely. Yeah, you did. Hard work but enjoyable because you got the best people in the Navy and the best food. Really? I didn't realize they had such great food. Well, there's not much place to store it, so it's very carefully selected, and it's good. And are there any um, stories or funny incidents or um, that you can share with us? Lots. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll tell you the first one about how on my first ship, which was a 47,000-ton aircraft carrier, tied up at the pier in Long Beach, California, and I had the duty. So I invited her down to have dinner with me on the ship. She walked aboard, and 20 minutes later, she was seasick. <laughs> <laughs> Just sitting there. <laughs> then when I was a supply officer on the USS Tecumseh, 
No, I'm sorry. It was the Patrick Henry. Submarine. Submarine. We had two crews, and each crew turned over the remains of what they had in the storerooms and in the freezer to the other crew, and we inventoried it. And then we built our menu for 60 days based on that. So we got underway on the first on this cruise, on this cruise, <laughs> this <laughs> patrol, and uh, first day we were supposed to have hot dogs, and so they broke out the hot dogs and they were all green, and they went into all the hot dogs we had and they were all green. Oh my! So we immediately sat down with the chief commissary and I said, "All right, what do we do to replace hot dogs? What do we have the most of?" And he said, "Chicken." So we replaced the ch hot dogs with chicken. Every time we served chicken. Charlie Davis, commissarian second class, was a duty cook. Every time we served chicken. <laughs> After about two weeks, he became Charlie Chicken Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a nickname when you were in the Navy? Well, uh, at the Academy, they called me Frenchie, just because of my name. Yeah. But uh, Not really. on the ship, the favorite nickname I had was Captain. <laughs> <laughs> And when did you serve during the Navy? What years? Uh, from 1956 to 1979. And that was during the Vietnam War? Yep. And to my knowledge, I was never fired at. And I know I never fired at anybody because submarines didn't really participate in that war. But we were there deterring the Third World War. So now tell me, Lynn, when you graduated from high school, what did, did you go on to college or what did you do? Yes, I went straight to college. I went to Newcomb College, part of, part of Tulane University. It was all girls at that, mm -hmm. at that time. And um, so I went four years there, graduated from there. We graduated at the same time uh, from college. And then we got married right after that. Oh, which brings me to my next question. May I brag a little? Oh, please do. She graduated Phi Beta Kappa. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you, uh, Lynn, what did you graduate with? What kind of degree? Elementary education. And did you go on to teach? or? Yeah, I did. I, I taught f for a while. Mm -hmm. um, we moved a lot in the Navy and started having children, so I didn't, I didn't teach really for very long. But yes, I taught for a bit. Could, so, could I insert that she taught in Long Beach, California, which was our first duty station. Oh. And she was making, at the time, exactly twice what I was making as an ensign in the Navy. <laughs> <laughs> Those days are gone. <laughs> Two-income family. So now tell me, how did you two meet, and was it love at first sight? You tell them. Uh, it was a blind date. Friends of my parents were mutual friends of his parents and so they called and, and asked me he was home and didn't have anybody you know that, that he knew anymore to, i was at the naval they, academy at the yeah time. he was at, and he was threatening to leave <laughs> go to washington or wherever and his parents were desperate they called everybody they knew do you know any girls that might take david so we met on a blind date even though it really was and he had come to my church youth group a couple of times during my high school years so I, I sort of knew you know who he was but I didn't really know him so that's that was our first date and then David I know you told me it was love at first sight for you absolutely I went home after that date and woke my parents up and I said I found her <laughs> I couldn't believe that when he told me that later he didn't tell me right away and so how long did you all date before you decided to uh, propose, and how did you propose? 
Well, that was my that was my youngster year, I guess. We were two years more at the academy, and of course, I can't get married at the academy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was home on summer leave, and we went out to Lake Pontchartrain, which is near New Orleans, and sat on the levee, concrete levee. And I proposed, and she was terrified I dropped the ring in the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were steps down to the water. Like, oh, you chose this place? <laughs> were you surprised? Yes, I really was. Yeah. And then tell me a little bit about your wedding. Was it um, Was it in Louisiana? Oh, it was in New Orleans. Oh, yeah, being Orleans? both from New Orleans, it was in New Orleans at, at my home church. Where her parents had been married. Yep, same same church, although they didn't have a big wedding there. They just were married in the minister's <laughs> office. But the same minister who married them married yeah. us. It was, oh, that's yeah, so nice. a lot of history there. So, so we were married right in New Orleans. Yep. And there was a disaster. She had a veil, a, person, a very antique veil that she was wearing that trailed in the, to the floor. And as she was preparing to come into the sanctuary, someone stepped on the veil and tore it. Fortunately, we found somebody who knew how to repair veils, and they did it. Yeah. (laughs) And where did you all go on your honeymoon? St. Augustine, Florida. (laughs) And we went down to Daytona to watch the dog races. (laughs) (laughs) Now tell me, uh, Lynn, you mentioned that you moved a lot because uh, David was in the Navy. How did that impact you as a family? Well, it wasn't easy, (laughs) I'll say that, because he was gone a lot. And, of course, having grown up in one place as an only child, I wasn't used to all that. But being in the Navy and you have groups that you're associated with automatically, Mm -hmm. and that helped. Uh, You sort of automatically had friends. Uh, Even if you didn't have neighbors, you had friends that were from the ship that your husband was on, the submarine or whatever. So it, it wasn't wasn't too difficult. So you sort of had a built-in support system. Right, exactly. And it's called a wardroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, how long were you married before you decided to have children? About three months. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was deployed for, uh, we were married in June, and I, I deployed to the Western Pacific for eight months in January. So we hadn't been married but six months when I deployed, and I left her pregnant. Oh, my. But unfortunately, she miscarried, so we lost the first one. How many children do you have, and and what are their names? We have three. We have Kathy, Debbie, and Dave. Yep. Tell me some of your favorite memories about raising your children. Well, uh, for me, (laughs) it was uh, very stressful at times because he was gone a Mm. lot. Um, but the kids were great kids, and they got along well, so it wasn't too much of a strain. And I, I look back on it as the most treasured days of my life, truly, and they've grown into a wonderful young man and two young women, and now they've got kids and grown kids all of their own, so I feel very blessed. Yep. Is there any... A funny story or a particular incident while they were growing up? Well, I remember our middle daughter, my middle child, Debbie, was really neat. And we were in Mystic, Connecticut. I was on a submarine. (laughs) She was vacuuming the floor, and Debbie was asleep on the floor, and he had to vacuum around her. She didn't wake up. (laughs) 
she adapted well to any environment, <laughs> yeah. huh? She had to. <laughs> With two, a brother and a sister around, too. And yeah. now, how many uh, how many grandchildren do you have? And where oh, where are your children living? Are they Do they live locally here or in Virginia, or are they all over the country? We uh, wish they did, but uh, no, they're not local. <laughs> so who lives where? Well, our oldest, Kathy, lives in Lexington, South Carolina. With her husband, Chris, uh, they, they have two children. Aaron is married to John Snelting, and they live in Cincinnati. And they have one child, Clara, our first great-grandchild. And then that's, that's our oldest. Mm-hmm. Our youngest, Debbie, used to live here, but she moved to Florida to live with her son. And so she's in St. Petersburg, and she has one son. And he has a, a son who is our only great-grandson named Mason. And finally is Dave, the deserter. <laughs> he lives in Australia. <laughs> Have you ever been to visit him there? Uh, yeah. Nine times, yeah. but not anymore. It's too hard a trip. <laughs> but uh, he interesting. a great Australian gal. <laughs> interesting how he met her. He was bicycling around the world with friends, with a friend. And she was backpacking around the world. And she had just broken up with a relationship. And he had never had a relationship. They met in Rome in a bar on Christmas Eve. (laughs) And he had left his jacket in a town. What's a town? A town north of there. Mm -hmm. And he he was trying to go get it. So he went to the place where she was staying looking for a Eurail pass. And she said, well, I'll go with you. And so... They decided to do that. They stayed together for a while. He went. They went to Greece together, and she had to go back to Australia to, ma- to be a, a best woman. They don't have ma- ma- yeah. matrons of honor or maids of honor in her sister's wedding. So she left. He went on to Africa, got a terrible disease in Tanzania, almost died, as a matter of fact. We didn't know it at the time, thank goodness. Anyway, he then he went on to Australia and spent some time with her. And, and then, the rest is history. And the rest is history. Now let me ask you this. Where have you traveled to and what are your favorite places? We've traveled to Australia a lot. Uh, we won a, uh, a free trip. Can you believe a free trip when Montgomery Ward was holding raffles? We won a trip to Hawaii. Oh, my God. What year was that? Because oh, Montgomery Ward hasn't been around I in know, a while. That was back in, in the 90s sometime. So nice? and that was one nice trip. And where else have we been that we enjoyed? Mostly Australia. <laughs> well, have you been all over Australia, or just oh no, to just the East Coast? Oh no, no, just that's too big a place, and, and the only reason we're going is to see the kids, so we're not going to go visiting. We we stopped in in New Zealand on one of the trips to Australia, though. Very nice. So, we're going to your kids and your grandkids are going to be listening to this. What what are your hopes and dreams for them? Well, I have a very simple goal for them. I tell them, seek and accept responsibility, and you can't go far wrong. And that's and they are. They're doing that. They've met all our goals and exceeded them. For sure. Yeah. We're very blessed. All of our in-law <laughs> are wonderful. Uh, yeah, our, our kids make great choices, and we feel very blessed. That's for sure. You've been living at uh, Westminster Canterbury for how long? We've been here 18 years, and um, we're both only children. 
And so my parents decided to move up here, and they came to Westminster, Canterbury, and David's mother said... In, in 1982. 1982. And David's mother said, you're not leaving me here. You'll never come and see me again. <laughs> so she came too. So we were very fortunate to have the three of them. His father had already passed away. So we have a very, very long history here. And we were very impressed in those many years that they were here. And now here we are. And we've been here 18 years. And I know it's the 40th anniversary of Westminster Canterbury. And what um, your mother, David, brought something very special that we do every year here at Westminster Canterbury. What, yeah. what is that? She decided that we should celebrate Mardi Gras here like they do in New Orleans and have a parade and a king cake and all those things. And she brought the first king cake from New Orleans up here. But it didn't do very well because it had a ring in it. Mm. And they were worried about somebody breaking a tooth. <laughs> <laughs> but she, she, I was the first king and she was the first queen of Mardi Gras here at Westminster. What made you decide on Westminster Canterbury, first for your parents and then for yourself? Well, when our parents came, we had to find a place that was, we thought, better than New Orleans, and this mm -hmm. place is far better than anything New Orleans has to offer. Plus, we wanted them to close to us. We were the mm -hmm. only children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so this was, in, we lived in Kempsville at the time, so. What's your favorite thing about living here? Well, I tell people, they say, why'd you move there? And I said, for something I haven't used and I hope I never do, and that's health care. The health care that they offer here is unsurpassed and doesn't change when you, as you deteriorate. Your costs don't go up except for what Medicare makes you pay. And that's the gift we gave our children. Yeah, we felt like we were doing this for our children. Yep. Just as our parents did it for us, we convinced them that they were doing it for us, and that's why they were willing to come here. So we haven't regretted a day, 18 nope. years of it. I'm not. <laughs> I bet you've made some uh, good long-term friends here. We have, very long-term. Yeah. Also, we've lost some long-term friends, unfortunately. This is, that's life. And yeah, it, but we love living here, and we would recommend it to anybody. Absolutely. And, and what kinds of things are you involved in here? Uh, well, I'm the chairman of the IT committee. <laughs> I was the chairman of the plant operations committee. I, uh, I'm also the, quote, Recycle battery collector. <laughs> You're a busy man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and Lynn, what do you like to do? I, I, I like to do F&J. I've been with F&J a long time. I have, you know, a day a month that I am in charge of, and I have certainly enjoyed that and working on the, the big summer sale and all and that. And the, the F&J is our, what, our resale shop, would you call it? or yeah. Flotsam and Jetsam. Yeah. <laughs> you must like that, Navy. Oh, right. <laughs> no, we try to avoid that. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. At some point, you were telling me you had a serious illness. Yeah, I did. I had an intestinal blockage. And this is another case where the Lord decided he wanted to keep me here. I had an intestinal blockage, and I was at the point of they were going to worry about surgery, and so they finally decided to do an ultrasound of my abdomen. Mm -hmm. And that's when they found that my aorta was six centimeters in diameter, which is very near the point where it's going to rupture and you die instantly. So they found that, and the obstruction passed. But in the meanwhile, I went to Dr. Damasi, bless his soul, and I now have five stents in my innards, which are preventing any further damage. But 
the Lord could have taken me there very easily. But somebody said, do an ultrasound and save him. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> now, how has that shaped your faith? Uh, how has your faith evolved over time? I know it's important to you. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in a family that was strong in their faith. And so I, I think I developed it that way. And I think I always knew that when I got married, I was going to marry someone that felt as strong as I did. And I found him. And so we've both been very strong. Yeah. And you, David? Well, I, this is embarrassing to Lynn, but I, I had a set of specifications for my wife. Oh. <laughs> she had to be a college graduate. She had to be uh, a Protestant, and incidentally, she might have to look be good looking. And she <laughs> met all the criteria. <laughs> now, I know that with your church, do you, do you do a lot of volunteer work? I know that you you worked with uh, creating some blessing bags. Yeah. Um, for uh, those who were in need and and uh, yeah, were homeless, homeless yeah. what kind of volunteer work do you both do? Well, she used to do a lot with F and J and other things like that. Recently, she hadn't been able to do much, but she did a lot before. I drive for Lee's friends, which is a cancer helping people live with cancer. I take them to people to their appointments. And how long have you been doing that? About seven years. Now that must be interesting. It is meeting different people and in, in a time of need. Absolutely, and being thankful that I'm the driver and not the passenger. Count your blessings every Friday. Every oh. Friday I do that. And then, uh, <laughs> I, I work for another organization uh, called FaithWorks Coalition, and we uh, repair homes for the needy. And I, I'm the secretary. I do most of the paperwork. I'm not much of the hammer anymore. Uh-huh. I've been with them since, uh, oh gosh. Long time. Yeah. Well, before they were that, they were part of Habitat for Humanity. But Oh, wow. Well, let me ask you two questions. One, what piece of advice, now that you've lived 80 plus years, what piece of advice would you give your younger self now that you can look back? <sighs> Cherish each moment. Absolutely. And oh. count your blessings. I, th- I think. And choose your friends carefully. Yeah, amen to that. And what was the best piece of advice you've ever received from somebody else? Mm-hmm. I, th- I think choosing friends. I can remember my father saying, be very careful about what friends you choose because you can become associated and be with the wrong person, people, and it's hard to shake that if it's not a a good association, yeah. My father didn't give me one piece of advice, but he taught me to do an awful lot of things. He taught me how to be a plumber, how to be a carpenter, how to be all sorts of things, and all the time he said, if you don't do it the best way you can, don't do it. And finally, is there any piece of advice or message that you want to give your children and grandchildren? We love you. (laughs) Yeah, and love with all your might and enjoy every day with your children and grandchildren and count each blessing that you have. 
exactly. That's a lot of great advice. Thanks so much for speaking with me today and for being on Westminster Canterbury Tales and our Tell Me a Story series. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Westminster Canterbury Tales podcast. Thank you for listening. 